podcastjuice.net. The planet is restless, Captain. They want their podcast. And they shall have it. I'll beam down to the surface. You have the bridge. Captain, that is illogical. These are Trek fans. They will challenge and dissect your knowledge with great emotion. It is a mission fraught with danger, peril, and grave risk. Suggestions. Send in the red shirts. Ladies and gentlemen, commanders and cadets, the red shirts are back. We're back on another, uh, well, it's not a five-year mission or an ongoing mission. It's about an hour-long mission. And having worked with my two crewmates, well, let me introduce them first. First, we have Lieutenant Commander Craig J. Craig, how are you today? <laughs> Was that my rank loss episode? <laughs> you, you, were, you, you, were, you were booted up. You were booted up. I see. Okay. I'm, I'm doing good. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Now, my next crewmate, Commander, who unfortunately failed the Kobayashi Maru test and destroyed, whoa, whoa, whoa. destroyed my training facility. Big Sexy, how are you? I am well. I didn't destroy anything. I simply changed the parameters. That's all. <laughs> hey, put down the apple, okay? Jesus. <laughs> but now, in working with you two, I just have to say there's one observation that I've made. And that is Tuvashbeni Komi. Hmm. I'm not getting that. Okay. Me neither. My user universal translator is not working today. Rough crowd. <laughs> we did we did prepare for this today's journey, did we not? Yeah, we're not busking it this time. And and we watched the movie that we're going to be discussing today, correct? And, and, we, and we learned we learned our Vulcan, did we not? No, we did not. <laughs> we did not know Vulcan was going to be on the test. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. All right. So I want to put the crickets uh, sound effect in <laughs> with that. Uh, today's topic is uh, we're going to be comparing Space Seed, the original series episode featuring the one and only Khan, Noonien Singh. We're going to compare that episode with what is arguably, what I think most Trekkies would say is the best Star Trek movie to date. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And, and we're specifically leaving out the Kelvin crappy version of that story. Yes, we are leaving out the one that has the the Britain Anglophile named Khan. <laughs> we're leaving that one right. out. Yeah, uh, but I, I do have to take umbrage with my crewmates that did not recall the Vulcan language that was spoken in the scene where Kirk first boards the Enterprise in Star Trek Two. Between between Savik and Spock. I saw it. You know, I just you know, I do not speak Vulcan. I speak wow. Klingon. Okay. I don't speak Vulcan. You speak Klingon. Must... No. <laughs> I wonder if they've ever used Vulcan in any other Star Trek show or, or movie, or was it just at this one movie? Because I don't remember hearing Vulcan anywhere else. I think. Well, well, wait a minute. Did they use? Did they speak? No, they didn't speak Vulcan on the motion picture when he was on Vulcan, going through the uh, was it Faltor Pan? I forget. What they it was. didn't. Mm. They spoke English. I'm pretty. Well, that's a good question. 
I was say, didn't uh, Tapao speak it in that episode? Maybe. We'll have to come back with the answer, do some Googling. There you go. Well, so let, let's get underway. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to compare Space Seed with um, Star Trek Two, And I got to tell you, I just watched these. Uh, I watched Space Seed a couple days ago. I watched Star Trek Two last night. And I got to tell you, I had a great time watching both of these. It was like putting on a, a, a comfortable pair of shoes. It was like going back to your childhood home or I can't think of any other metaphors right now, but I really had a fun time. And I want to sum it up. I, I'm going to sum it up. Sum it up in one statement. When I saw these two, Space Seed and uh, Wrath of Khan. Listen, James T. Kirk is that motherfucker. Uh -oh. uh -oh. That listen, <clears throat> I'm telling you. If you ever get into as a Trekkie, if you ever get into a conversation, and you're and you're a diehard Trekkie. And someone asks you, who's your favorite captain or which what was your favorite version of Trek? You got to tell them to take Star Trek, the original series off the table. Because I can sit up here and say TNG is probably my favorite version of Trek. Picard is probably my favorite captain. But that's because I am not even going to try to compare anybody to James T. Kirk. That would that's a that's folly to try to do that. He, he stands above and beyond any captain that's come or will come in the future. I mean, do you guys agree? Definitely. And by the way, it was his birthday last week. That's right. Oh, happy birthday so, to the man, the so, myth, the legend. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, uh, Gene Roddenberry made Captain Kirk's birthday the same as William Shatner's birthday. So they have the same birthday. But, of course, some of the Star Trek sites... Uh, showed the new Kelvin Captain Kirk and said it's his birthday. But of oh, course, it's, I mean, come oh, on, <laughs> really, really. I I want their names. <laughs> I'm gonna go into my Al Pacino. I want them dead. I want the fat. No, I'm not gonna. Do that. <laughs> I'm not gonna. The do funny that. thing is, when I watch Space Seed again, it's uh, it's incredible to think that Captain Kirk lets Khan just check out the schematics of the ship. You know, after he's just met him. Well, we're we're gonna <laughs> yeah. get into that because think about that. We're, we're gonna get into that, but just some just some uh, background, a little bit of trivia. So, Space Seed from the original series uh, is the twenty second episode of the first season of Star Trek. It was first broadcast on NBC on February sixteenth, nineteen sixty seven. It was written by Gene L. Kuhn and Carrie Wilbur, directed by Mark Daniels. This is interesting because I'm also a Honeymooners fan. If anyone out there remembers the uh, classic Jackie Gleason black and white comedy. So the writer uh, Wilbur, he conceived the general plot of Spacey for a different series, Captain Video and his Video Rangers. And if anyone up there is now the Honeymooners came out before I was born, so I'm not that old. But uh, I'm a huge fan of the show. And, and uh, Captain Video was um, Ed Norton's favorite show. So the, the script that was Captain written, Captain Video. Captain Video. Am I the only one that knows the Honeymooners? No, 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 no. Okay. I remember hearing um, a Captain Video reference in an old uh, Warner Brothers cartoon called Captain Schmidio. So yes. Wow. <laughs> now, if you say that, if you say that too fast, you might be cursing someone out. That, that, that's that's um, that's true. But um, well, thank you, thank you for that. Uh, so the the original story featured humans from ancient Greece 
who were preserved in cryogenic suspension and were revived. Let's see, a lot of changes were made, obviously. Uh, some of the changes included the marooning of the criminals at the end of the episode and the change of the primary villain from a Nordic character to a Sikh, which is what Khan was. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so was? that's what they claim here. Oh. So you had a you had a Hispanic playing a Sikh. <laughs> I mean, well, he wasn't wearing the funny uh, the hat thingy. Well, his hair, you, you saw his hair, right? Yeah, yeah. Again, what year did I say this came out? 67. <laughs> it's funny to me that in the 60s where, you know, things were a lot more restricted, there wasn't much diversity. Uh, they did go the extra mile to cast a person of color to play a, to play a person of uh, Mongolian uh, ethnicity. Why? But they they got a they got a Hispanic person, so I just think if you're going to be bold and hire someone of diversity that's diverse, why not hire the person or the the ethnicity that the character actually is? However, having said that, I'm not mad at them for for hiring a, a Hispanic person because Ricardo Montalban put his foot on that role. Um, he did, yeah. So let's just just your, your first impressions of Space Seed. What do you guys, how do you guys rate the episode? What do you think of it? Well, you know, after not having seen it for a while, uh, there are a lot of things in it that were happening. Uh, I do like the fact that they had Khan and his people launch in 1996. I'm like, we had space travel in 96? I I didn't see that. Um, I thought the woman, the lieutenant who ended up with Khan, was a hoe, and you know, mutinous hoe. But wow, <laughs> I'm wrong. I'm Khan gonna... comes on the ship, and she's like, "Oh, I got to get some of this." Really? Okay. No. <laughs> see, all right. See, listen. And you know what, big sexy. <laughs> I swear. Last week I was listening to the playback on the show after editing it, and I'm like, I got big sexy this time. I still there was still an F word that got past the goalie. <laughs> I think you. I think you doing that on purpose now but um but um i see we're gonna this is what we're gonna get into and out since you kind of opened the door you gotta understand because we want to do a compare and contrast you know back in the 60s you know women didn't have the same what's the word standing or the same they weren't perceived the same back then unfortunately and they were perceived as, even though Roddenberry did what he could to give them some purchase in the Star Trek universe, you still had the the female character. Whenever, like whenever you, whenever Kirk is talking to a female, Kirk, his camera lens looks very strong. The lighting is <clears throat> flat and harsh. Then they cut to the woman he's talking to, and you can see the the nylon filter behind the lens. Oh yeah, and the little <laughs> eyelight yeah. in the soften. So I, you know, they hadn't conquered all of their demons then, and women back then were seen as the weaker sex, very gullible, very capable of being manipulated by a strong, handsome, charismatic person. Because yeah, you're right, it is kind of bullshit that she, just because she studies ancient figures, <laughs> that she would, I was gonna say, she would get moist over this guy. <laughs> well, she did, and that's the thing, she did. And um, forego her entire Starfleet career, you know. So, but continue, continue. 
Well, again, you said it right there. You know, she gets all, uh, you know, verklempt over this guy and, you know, throws her entire career away, commits criminal, you know, acts of mutiny behind what? Some d- <laughs> Nah, man. Her character was flawed from day one. I don't like how Kirk... Spoiler alert. I don't like how Kirk just, you know, dropped all the charges and left them on that planet. That was some bullshit. Now, he could have left Khan and his people there, you know, whatever. But the lieutenant needed to answer for her crimes. Period. Now, I'm not going to say why, because I don't want to spoil DS9 for Q, but she needed to answer for that. Wait, is there something on Spacey that is that could be a spoiler for DS9? No, but... No, but I just don't want to say it. Because I don't okay. want to spoil something for you on DS9. Because I, I kind of had to give DS9 a hiatus uh, since Iron Fist is on Netflix now. So I haven't seen oh, it in a while. We won't, that's, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> I'm just... Terrible! <laughs> just let you know. So, okay, Big Sexy. Uh, don't miss words. Tell us how you really feel. That's another quote from Star Trek 2, which you should chain know. Of, chain of command, man. Gotta respect that. And it's not like she was an ensign or a crewman or a yeoman. She was a lieutenant. She knows better than this. Yeah, but you know those those charismatic male wiles. They, they <sighs> women were just just easy prey in the sixties to the to those <laughs> to a nice chest and a strong guy. I, what can I say? Nineteen sixty seven, dude. I, I agree with you, but we're gonna compare that with the females, the female portrayals in um, Star Trek Two. A mere what was that? Fifteen years uh, after. But uh, until we, we'll save that for down the road in this conversation. But um, uh, Craig, what what's your take on Space Seed? I just wanted to say before I give you my idea, my my thoughts on Space Seed is that the original pilot of Star Trek had a very strong female character, and that That's she true. wasn't this kind of female character. So I think Gene Roddenberry had the right idea, but he was he was uh, browbeaten into essentially dumbing the woman down in the next pilot. Unfortunately, right. I think he had he had he had his uh, you know he had the right idea. So I really really like Space Seed and love the Wrath of Khan, the sequel, so to speak. But uh, I liked um, I really liked it a lot. Um, there were some glaring mistakes that were made by leadership on the ship, which are not, not not apparent until you watch it later on and you watch it again and you just see how Kirk essentially gives the ship to Khan by letting him read the schematics, <laughs> yep. you know, but otherwise it was a great episode. As you said, Mark, lots of things going on in the episode. And, um, I thought that letting them get onto the planet was Kirk showing mercy to them, you know, because they had, they had, they were sort of an anomaly. They had survived 200 years in space floating around and he just thought it was harmless to put them on a, a really crappy planet and let them, let them go for it. So I thought I thought he had good ideals there. No, I'm not. You know, again, leaving Khan and his people there—that's fine. The lieutenant, uh-uh. You got to come back and earn and pay for it. Although she really played a sort of a small role in the whole mutiny there. It was really Khan and his guys who did most of the heavy lifting. True, well, but she still you know enabled those guys. Ooh, I hate that word, but she did. Yep. Well, just to give my take on the on the episode. I just remember when I first saw Star Trek. I'm not going to go into my history with Star Trek again. I've I've outlined it many times in this show. 
But I wasn't a huge fan of Star Trek until I saw Star Trek 2 and fell in love with Star Trek after that. And I just remember being amazed when a friend of mine told me, well, you know, Khan is from the original series. I was like, what? Yeah, the, uh, it was called Space Seed. Uh, check it out. And I watched it. I can't remember my impressions back then. We're talking about 1982. But I did watch this episode recently, like last year sometime. And then I watched it again a couple days ago. It To me, it was a little hard to get through. It's a, it, Not much happens. It's not very exciting. Some great uh, There's a great performance by Khan. Uh, well, by Ricardo Montalban. But um, I don't know. I think what's missing for me is you don't see that. There are a couple of moments where you see that Kirk-Spock dynamic. Which you also see in Star Trek 2 to the nth degree. So that's. So that's there, but there's really not, I don't know, there's not that much going on in the episode other than seeing some really good dialogue between uh, Montauban and the actress who played MacGyvers. I don't have her name uh, right really in front of me. But um, uh, Madeline Rue, that was her name, Madeline Rue. Um, that, that scene where he first seduces her or first starts to manipulate her, it's a really well-acted scene. Uh, very character driven, and I don't know, Montalban. He man, he just kills that role because you, despite all of the logical common sense that she should not have done what she did, you can kind of see how he could be charismatic enough to convince people to follow him. Although, when they get into the scene where they're in the um in the uh the conference room. And Khan is Khan is kind of starting to show a little bit of bitchiness when he's like, "One of you, will one of you join me? One of anyone join me?" You know, <laughs> I just think if you're if you're a um, if you're a leader like a Genghis Khan, you're not going to show your frustration like that because you should realize that your people that, that Captain Kirk is a strong leader, and his people are not going to betray him. And what was funny is when they pumped the uh, gas into that room, who was the first one that ran out? Mm. It was gone, <laughs> right? But that's how that's how dictators do. They they see themselves as so valuable that they cannot die. That their 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 troops should die before they do. But um, mm. yeah. So overall, the the episode um, it's good to, if you want to see some good uh, a good workshop on uh, acting like, like six acting back in the sixties in terms of action and narrative. Not much really happens. Ironically, you get to see a lot of bad predictions for the future by the writers of this episode, <laughs> because as we know, uh, they have us believe that in the late 90s, there was a eugenics program that created a race of supermen, yeah. that being Khan's people. So, But, you know, for them, they had no idea what was going to be happening in the 90s. We're doing it now today in some of our science fiction. So we don't have ho hoverboards yet, as predicted by Back to the Future. Although the media keeps calling those other things hoverboards, which annoys the hell out of me. Yeah, I call them flamethrowers. <laughs> That's what I right, call Right, exactly. <clears throat> but just just have a little bit of fun with this episode. Then we're going to get into some meat and potatoes. Um, just some things you notice. I mean, it's it's the dated show. The series itself is dated, although it's still the shit. It's a dated show. A couple of things I noticed was um, I love the fact that... Uh, for whatever reason, Bones keeps medical supplies on the wall in sick bay. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> but I think they uh, they they old medical supplies, aren't they? They just there for show. 
Yeah, I've I've seen a doctor a lot of times. I've never seen that in in the OR or the e, in the exam room. Well, I suppose that you're right, you're right, and I suppose it played to the whole theme of this is a guy from the past, and so you know, Bones is keeping medical equipment from the past. Right. Well, that's yeah. good. That's good. I also like how uh, Bones refers to the Enterprise as he says it's the USS Spaceship Enterprise, and then in a couple scenes later, when Kirk meets Khan laying in the sick bay, he calls it Starship Enterprise. Um, now, another thematic thing that I thought was very interesting, because as we get into Star Trek II, such a such a rich movie in terms of themes. We talk about the needs of the many versus the needs of the few. We talk about the aging, you know, uh, aging process, getting old past our time. Um, <clears throat> we also talk about intellect, the superior intellect, and how Khan is supposed to be a Superman physically and mentally, although he keeps making stupid moves. Um, <laughs> in Space Seed, Khan tells Kirk that he's inferior mentally and physically. Although we never, he says that during the dinner scene. It, but even in that dinner scene, Kirk, Spock, and Bones are just on his ass. <laughs> <laughs> and Khan, Khan even says, excellent, Captain, excellent. You, you, you stay silent and let your dogs do the work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, and that dinner scene is very cat and mouse. Again, this episode is low on action, but very good on dialogue and, and chess. Um, yeah. You guys have any thoughts? I don't want to monopolize the conversation. You have any thoughts about that? You know, again, <clears throat> someone comes on your sh- on board. You know, they've been in suspended animation or what do you want to call it for a, a, quite a long time, and you give them free run. Where is security? You know, you guys can walk <laughs> around the ship. But let's keep an eye on these people, man. And then you can see how charismatic this guy is. And you should have just said, you know what? Let me just drop these people off at the next. Uh, Starbase and keep it moving. But no, let's let them see the schematics of the ship. Isn't that classified? Don't we have some top top secret around here? You know, and the fact that he was so bold, well, I have five times your strength. Really? How about five times this piece of metal? Pow! You know know what? I have to say, my son was watching this with me, and he when Kirk, now that scene reminded me of Star Trek Nemesis. When Picard just yanks that thing out of the wall and stabs Shinzong <laughs> with it. Oh, yeah. My son said, you know, they could have made that look a little bit more metallic. Right now, it looks like a piece of styrofoam. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> and I said, well, son, that's because it is a piece of styrofoam. <laughs> but now, but getting back to the technical thing, the technical manual. See, I know, I couldn't point to any specific episode, but I know I've seen on TNG where um, oh and maybe voyager where they allow visitors to view to to access non-classified or non-security based information about the ship now my explanation is that because of uh khan's superior intellect that's how he was able to pilot the reliant <laughs> how he was able to trigger the Genesis bomb and how he was able to hack into the computer to find out more technical data in Spacey to, to do what he did. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. <laughs> this is a tough crowd today. <laughs> but I wanted to point out a little geeky thing here from a computer person standpoint. Yeah. One of the things that really stood out in the original Star Trek and this one as well is how Kirk tells Khan that he, the doctor will show him how to connect the medical system to the main memory banks, right? First of all, calling the memory banks is really an old way of talking about memory. But back in the 60s, they were just mainframes. And so you would have to connect one computer to another like it was a process you had to go through to do it. Whereas today, we just turn, you turn a computer on and we connect it to everything at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it sort of dates the writers of the show and the computer technology of the 60s. It really stands out in that one scene. I mean, I'm a computer geek, so for me, it stood out. Connect well, the computer, one computer system to another to access schematics. Well, you know, if, you, if you're going to go there, I mean, you can look at Star Trek 2 and that whole retinal scan thing and the Genesis effect, how the, the cheap looking fonts that come up. <laughs> when the guy says, Captain, the mains are back online and you see this bar graph. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah, that, you know, you cut, cut him some slack, cut him some slack. I now, don't like the bar graph. <laughs> get out. <laughs> I, I love, Actually, the funny thing is I, I liked a lot of the special effects in uh, the Wrath of Khan. It was done by ILM, and so it was actually pretty damn good for the for 1982 or 1981, whenever they started filming. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, we can move into Star Trek Two now. I just want to read this since you said that. It says here, the Wrath of Khan was released in America on June 4th, 1982. It was a box office success, made 97 million dollars worldwide. Wow, that's a, that's amazing. That would be a fair today. Um, it got a positive critical reaction. However. This speaks to what you just said. Um, negative reaction focused on weak special effects. <laughs> now, I okay. listen, I don't know what... For the show, for, for the show, for the time, I thought those special effects were dope. I mean, the, the Genesis effect, I mean, it looks dated now, but back then I was amazed. Yeah, I mean, when they showed the Genesis device and stuff, that computer, that CGI had a lot of detail, yeah. I thought. So I was impressed by that. And, and ironically, the, the same article says, among the film's technical achievements is it being the first feature film to contain a complete sequence created entirely with computer-generated graphics. So on the one hand, they're saying it had weak special effects. Uh, on the other hand, they're saying it was, a, um, it was a watershed moment because of that sequence. I assume they're referring to the Genesis sequence. But in terms yeah, which of, is a good one, a good yeah, sequence. That I, I think so. But in terms of special effects, you know, maybe you, you can make the argument that the ships move a lot slower. When you look at today's uh, sci-fi and action, the ships move a lot slower. Uh, there, there's one, there's one shot in Star Trek Two where uh, they, right after Kirk gets back onto the Enterprise, and they they start to go to the Mataro Nebula. Where the filmmakers want to show the, um, I, I, I remember the scene. It's, it, Kirk enters the bridge and he says, tactical. And they show the planet on the view screen. And you see the Reliant and the Enterprise circling each other in uh, opposite orbit. Mm-hmm. And then there's a shot that shows um, the Enterprise on the bottom of Regula. That's the planet. And then it tilts all the way up through the planet. And you see regular one and uh, the Reliant. And it's like, wow, that probably took 20 seconds, which would be completely out of line today. <laughs> that one til- that one tilting move. Um, but I, I just want to point out a couple things back on Space Seed. 
interestingly enough, and I remember that Big Sexy, not to call you out, oh, but you, you, you lost this on a trivia question. The question was from one of the early episodes that we did. What was the name of Khan's second in command? And the, his Shut name up. was <clears throat> his name was Joaquin. And that, I didn't I didn't miss that because I didn't know it. <laughs> right. Well, Joaquin, you you know who Joaquin is after having watched Star Trek two recently, right? He's the guy who speaks up to Khan. The blonde know, dude. The blonde dude. Yeah. Um, he was in a, some Saturday morning superhero TV show that I can't remember either. The Phoenix, something like that. And he wasn't credited in the film. <laughs> he got no credit in the movie, and he had more speaking lines than a lot of the actors did that were credited. Mm. But um, Joaquin appears in Space Seed. Right after Khan revives all of his crew on the Botany Bay, he goes down the line of his crew members, and he stops and pats this guy and says, Joaquin, how are you? Or something like that, he says. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'll throw it. Joaquin. Trip is over. The battle begins again. Only this time is not a world win. It's a universe. And I'm like, really? Is that was the, it the same actor? It can't. It, well, no, no, not at all. Because that actor would would not be looking very good. Uh, although well, it was only only 15 years later. That's true. Yeah, you're that. right. You're right. But um, no. See, what's funny is that uh, Ricardo Montalban was the only person of color amongst all of his crew. <laughs> mm. That was actually the same thing in Star Trek Two, that um, he was a he was a Hispanic playing a, a, a Mongolian, and all of the crew were Euro. So I was really looking forward to seeing MacGyver's in Wrath of Khan, but he just says she was killed, which is unfortunate. That see that brings up a question: Are we assuming that that was his wife? That they became husband and wife? I, I think I think they yeah, yeah exactly. I'm, they want I'm, us to I'm following that, that yeah. Mm. I don't get that because, listen, on Spacey, when he's going down the line of his crew people, there's a woman, a brunette woman at the end, and she's fully bodied. And I'm like, dude, why are you messing with <laughs> MacGyver's? <laughs> he, 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 says well, Mac, he says MacGyver's is a strong woman, a, a special woman. How is she strong? You manipulated her when you first saw her. And then you got this yes. woman doing Tai Chi, looking <laughs> fine. <laughs> I'm like, dude... <laughs> Strong is not the word I would d- describe that traitorous, mutinous heifer at all. Okay. And now you have to wonder, are the people who wrote the TV series MacGyver, did they watch Space Seed, maybe? It was just a little thought in their mind? One well, has to wonder. Well, MacGyver, it, 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 it sounds, well, I'm not going to go there. It sounds like someone who would deal with like stuff like paper clips and explosives. <laughs> Yeah, but that's because that's an '80s show. But I mean, yeah, back in the '60s, there was no MacGyver. Yeah, I well, you know what, Craig? It's like that thing where I tend to disagree that um, the captain in uh, motion picture, uh, Decker, mm. is the son of Decker from uh, Doomsday Machine. I think it might be just a coincidence. Right, I remember that conversation. Although <laughs> I don't think that in the Star Trek universe, things are never coincidences. Okay, what, one more thing I'm going to bring up about Space Seed. I really love, I really love um, the fight scene between Khan and Kirk in engineering. I like to refer to it as the battle of the stunt doubles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wow! That 
I mean, if you want, if you want to really have a good laugh, just watch that scene. It's clear that neither of those actors. I love how they show it's a wide shot, and they show the two stunt doubles, and Khan knocks Kirk into the. It looks like a like a plating that that crosshatch plating in engineering. Yeah. And then they cut, and it's all of a sudden is William Shatner with his legs <laughs> up in the air, getting ready to kick Khan back. <laughs> And, and that's funny because they who, why did they need to use stunt doubles? Because it was known that Shatner did all of his stunts or most of them, and they, the the fight scene wasn't really that hectic. Well, they were getting weird. they were getting flipped on the floor, right? weren't they hitting the floor pretty hard? I suppose. I don't know. I, I I don't know. I'm just I'm I would assume insurance companies back in the '60s were a lot more careful. I could be wrong. But the last comment I want to make about Spacey, and then we can move into Wrath of Khan. Uh, it's just interesting that Spock makes a comment at the end of Spacey about returning to SETI Alpha 5 in 100 years to see what kind of what kind of civilization sprouted up from the seed that you planted here, Captain. Right. And so we're going to transition into Star Trek 2. I just have to say, I think... I just thought it was brilliant how they brought back a character from 1967 and made that the central character of a feature film. I mean, see, the original, the question I have is, as brilliant as it was, I wonder what made the producers decide that Khan was a worthy adversary to bring back. Do you suppose it was simply because... Montalban was kind of hot. I'm assuming he was kind of hot for say, Fantasy, Fantasy Island. Fantasy Island, man. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. But I think also, as, as you just pointed out, they ended off that particular episode saying we should go back at some point. And so they probably thought, what a great way to actually go back. Not 100 years later, 15 years later, but still, it's a, it's a great storyline. It is, but you know, when you think about it, there were so many other villains in Star Trek. I, ca I can't tell you their names now, but... <clears throat> um, the guy who the guy who was able to control their movements that was when we saw Kirk and Con uh, oh Kirk Charlie and X. Well, no Charlie. Well, you know what? I wasn't thinking about Charlie X, but I would love to see how he made out after being banished with the what were they called the Centaurians or something? I forgot what they were. Remember at the they end were. of that at the, at the end of Charlie X, he was oh, sent off. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, no. stay, stay, stay. There was yeah. a fan-made film, actually, that that um, uh, Uhura, Chekhov, and Charlie were were you know they they, they roles were reprised for this fan-made film. So if you can you can look at, look at that on on YouTube, it's actually quite brilliant. Who who they have other actors playing the roles of uh, Chekhov? The real actors, yeah. Like really? I think Charlie, the guy who played Charlie X, was there too, and um, yeah. Oh, you, oh yes, I got to put that link in the show notes because I, I I need to see that. It's a fan-made film, but it's, it's it happens many, many years after, obviously, the original series. And Charlie X comes back to to change something. It's pretty cool. Is he still a jerk or a spoiled kid? <laughs> I think mostly, yes. Wow. That's brilliant. I, yeah, we, i got to look at, check that out. But you know what I'm saying? The, the, I was thinking of the character who was able to control the crew, and this is where we saw Kirk kiss Uhura. I think there were, oh. Ro there were Roman gods or something. Was or? it? Trelane, that guy was it. Tr Trelane, that name sounds familiar. I know Trelane was very. Trelane was like the Q. There was speculation that he might have been a Q. 
And he had the little dude with him who was Lovelace in um, Wild Wild West in that, that episode. <clears throat> that sounds right. But my, my point being is that there's so many there were so many villains. It has to be that Ricardo Montalban was making a name for himself because if you had told me to, to go back into the canon of the original series, other but for the fact that he was in Fantasy Island, I wouldn't have picked Khan. But I have to say, I'm glad they did because Montalban was a brilliant actor and he really he really brought it to the role. Um, one one theme I wanted to 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 approach when we compare the two is that, and we kind of touched on it, the the role of the <clears throat> the role of the female and how the politics of the of the female in 1960s and in the 1980s. Now, Mark, you brilliant. Well, I'm not gonna say brilliantly, but you no, very say, say brilliantly. <laughs> you very clearly um, made the case that. Well, no, you just called her a heifer and a hoe. I was the one. <laughs> I was the one who tried to soften that so that we wouldn't get any hate mail by saying <laughs> that it was just the politics of the time. But when you fast forward into to 1982 with the Star Trek II, do we see much of a difference? Do we see? I, I submit that we we see women not so gullible and manipulative. See, I don't think she was gullible at all. I just think she, you know, saw what she wanted and went and got it, you know, to the cost of her career. I don't think he really manipulated her at all. I think she just, you know, saw him and got all sprung and did what she did. Well, I think I think there's a certain level. Of, uh, I think there is a certain amount of manipulation because he knows that she's a historian and he's that she's fascinated by figures such as him, and he sees that she, he sees something in her that can be used to his advantage clearly but my but but we can debate that but my my greater point is do we see much of a change in how women are treated by the writers in in Wrath of Khan i submit not much in so far that the women in Wrath of Khan are not given much to do outside of Carol Marcus she's portrayed as the leader of Genesis which is great She's given a lot of lines. She's given some authority. But you look at a character like Savik, who the first thing she does is screw up in, in the Kobayashi Maru. Well, and I she, wouldn't call it a screw up. And, she, and she, um, she's always asking and questioning. She's never... She doesn't give you any indication as to why she is command-ready. What's also interesting, she's a lieutenant bucking for captain. What happened to lieutenant commander first? So that's what I'm going to throw out to you guys. Do, do we see much of a difference in terms of how women are perceived in between Space Seed and Wrath of Khan? Clearly, Space Seed, it's, it's, it's another level. She falls in love with this guy at the drop of a hat. We don't see that in Wrath of Khan directly, but I still say women are kind of given short shrift. I don't think I agree with that, really. I just think that there were very few... There were so many people in this movie. All of the main characters were there, plus the villains. There wasn't really time to have to show any scenes or you know give the female characters anything really to do. So, And I think Savik was played as she's a, she's a wannabe captain. She's gone through all the training. And I think this was the last bit of training that she had to go through. And it's something she couldn't win anyway, as Kirk said. It's 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 to, to judge your character, because there's no way to win. 
So she was asking questions and she was quoting the the rule book and all that kind of stuff. And that seems to be in line with what you would expect somebody of that caliber to be doing at that at that time. So I, I'm I'm fine with it. I think women were portrayed much much better, treated much better in in Wrath of Khan. You agree, Big Sexy? Oh, I agree simply because of the uh, <clears throat> the time shift involved. Now, granted, you know, 1967 it was. Star Trek, that is, was a uh, you know really enlightened and progressive show, but they still had you know to work with the limitations. When you get into the '80s, which is post Helen Reddy, I Am Woman, post Billy King, Billy Jean King beating up Bobby Riggs on the tennis court, so yeah, women need to get their own uh, their own shine. I, I agree with that. Okay, well, you know, clearly, and I wasn't necessarily stating that point as a as a uh, as a firm fact. I you know I just I still think they could have beefed up f- the female roles. I, I think Savic, and by the way, that was the that was the debut performance of Kirstie Alley, and damn, she looked so good. She was fine. Wow, yeah, beautiful. <clears throat> I mean, when I first saw her, I was like, Klingons can look like not Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> Vulcans. I'm thinking of Lursa and Bator. <laughs> that cleavage. But anyway, um, that's enough. <laughs> Um, I was like, Vulcans could look like that? Wow. Because she didn't have the, the bold haircut. She had the long locks and everything. Mm. And I'm surprised Kirk didn't try to mack on that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings me to another theme, the theme of aging. I think one of the things about this that um, made it so uh, so revered is that, uh, and what made motion picture kind of reviled is that the characters the way the characterizations in Star Trek two are portrayed is how they should have been portrayed in the motion picture in the motion picture. They just tried to pick up where we left off in 1969. Mm-hmm. And so the characters act like nothing. There's been no time between them, but here such really strong things about, um, about, you know, our destiny. Do we make the right choices as we, as we grow older in our ambition and you see a Kirk <clears throat> who, well, I mean, he was the, it was the same thing in the motion picture, but here you see a Kirk who was more reserved. He's still that action guy, but you see a Kirk who is more uh, contemplative, less ready to just fire at the hip. I mean, that whole scene—it's a brilliant scene, which is punctuated by the brilliant, brilliant score of James Horner, where yeah, uh, they they call uh, they're they're debating about uh, um, the Genesis device. And then uh, Uhura calls in, Captain, we have a message from the Reliant. The Reliant? And then they go on the bridge, and Captain Kirk, out of character, and he's even warned by Savick, he just goes and uh, starts uh, tippy-toeing with Reliant. They don't respond to hails. It takes a while before he even uh, goes to yellow alert. So I, I think that... You know what this movie shows versus Spacey. In Spacey, they, you know, there's a, there's a line where Kirk says, um, and "Let me find this line because I thought it was very telling." He says uh, to um, MacGyver's, he, Kirk kind of understands how MacGyver's kind of could be manipulated. I know, big sexy, you disagree, because he says that. Well, I understand because you know men back then were bolder, stronger, and bolder. In uh, you know, back in the days of Khan, he says that when he dresses down MacGyver's initially, and this mm-hmm. is Captain Kirk saying that, 
So right. we're, we're to believe that Captain Kirk is saying, yes, men back then were bolder and more aggressive. But this is my f- Captain Kirk. Now, <laughs> you go, now you fast forward to Star Trek II and you see a Captain Kirk who should be wiser. Maybe he's a little bit more, what's the word I'm looking for? More uh, jaded. Who does not use proper procedure when uh, when approaching a ship that could be hostile? I I would consider a starship or any ship hostile if they do not return my hails. Yeah. So I, I find that interesting. Um, there's that theme going on. I, and uh, do you guys want to comment on that, or I'll move on to another another theme that I noticed. I, I got the I got Wrath of Khan on iTunes, and it had a whole bunch of extras. Some of them are new extras, and they speak to Nicholas Mayer, mm-hmm. Nicholas Meyer, who wrote the script. Right. And and he said that William Shatner was absolutely livid and angry of the way they were portraying Kirk in the Wrath of Khan. He was really, really pissed off about it. Because he, he, you know, Nicholas said that, that William Shatner wanted to shepherd, the, you know, he, he really um, identified with Kirk and he wanted to keep the image of Kirk as, the, um, as that image from the 60s. And he was very angry with the way the script had written. But Nicholas May, I think, made some tweaks to it. And But Nicholas May was saying the whole time he wanted to portray them as getting older. He wanted to show Kirk making a big mistake. He was, you know, he was rusty. And because you remember he hadn't captained a ship in a while. So they really wanted to portray Captain Kirk as this guy who was a little bit depressed. He's getting old. He's ha- he gets glasses, right? Right. You know, he can't see, he can't see like he did before. And he sits down in the captain's chair and makes a big mistake. And then from then he, you know, he, then he, of course he gains steam again and he, and he's back to being captain Kirk again. But he, I think he wanted to start it off that way. And I, and I think that's appropriate because they were getting old. Right. And that's fine. You know, um, I think that, it's, I think it's a great way to portray it. That makes the character, that makes the character breathe and live. Yeah. Uh, that makes the character something that we can all, even though I was, how old was I in 82? 14, 13, I can't remember. <laughs> but I could identify with that. I knew what I was seeing there, even though I was a young teenager. Mm. That made the characters real. Uh, and that was the problem. So let me ask you this. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but was Shatner upset about, because he made a big mistake in Star Trek The Motion Picture when um, they go into um, the, the, the wormhole and he wants to use phasers to destroy the... Uh, asteroid or something like that oh yeah yeah i remember that now <clears throat> i wonder if he had a problem with that but that's disappointing to hear that because i would think as an actor shatner would be like that's brilliant that's amazing that that's character that's big sexy what do you think what do you think of that do you think shatner was right to be upset that they wanted to portray characters that naturally humanly are aging a bit well i think you know, Shatner felt that way because he had a horse in this race because, you know, everybody gets older, but these actors like playing these roles repeatedly. And so I'm sure Kirk was trying to feather his own nest a little bit. But at the same time, if you show that, producers are like, well, these guys get old. Where do we go from here? You know, this is before the whole idea of the, the reboot different Kelvin Universe crap, too. You know, well, so I, but at the same time, I think a lot of people, a lot of fans, would like to see these characters have a natural arc. So I'm okay with them getting older. Yeah, and, and you know, they never really touch on it. I don't recall them touching on it in any subsequent movies. The only thing that popped into my head was 
in Star Trek Four, and then maybe this is the thing. Maybe this is sort of a, a metaphor where Kirk sells his glasses at the novelty store to get some money. Then he sells mm. his glasses to get some money when they go to Earth, nineteen eighty four. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so they never really address it again. But I, that's all they needed to do. Show me that. Show me that these characters are aging. And at the end of the last thing you hear and start the last line of dialogue in Star Trek Two is, "I feel young, I feel young." Mm. So okay, cool. So you don't have to show me an aging Kirk anymore. I mean, Kirk put it down in Star Trek Three, put it down, which I almost think is arguably almost a better film than Star Trek Two. I said it. The only thing well. I would disagree with that premise on is the person playing young Spock. Okay, let's not get into that. <laughs> let's not get into that. That's for another show. I'm just saying. All, all I do is scream. So okay. No. Okay. Wow. Okay, Mark. All right. Pine so. is painful. Well, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did when I was a college student. But anyway. Anyway. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There was some uh, droughts. But anyway. Um, like you all didn't have them. <laughs> Wow. My point is. Wow. <laughs> you know, we all have dry spells. Come on. Am Set I phases to stun? I'm the only one. Am I the only one? Jesus. You, I think so. In college, you always had that that uh, emergency break under glass number just for reasons like that. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes they're a little crazy and they're hard <laughs> to put back in the glass. <laughs> Run that risk. True. But, Particularly if the hammer you're using is... Now, okay, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to oh, go there. Okay. <laughs> they like the... Oh, anyway, I'm going to cut that out. Um, but my, <laughs> my point is that even though... It's disappointing to hear hear you say that that that, that was the case with Shatner because, you know, just show us that in, in Star Trek 2 and we're off and running. Star Trek 3, he was vital. Star Trek 4, vital. Star Trek 5, eh. The movie sucked, but... Kirk was Kirk. Star Trek Six. Kirk was the man. He's leaping over the. Uh, he's at start. Uh, what is that? The Federation of Planets leaping over platforms and knocking the Klingons down so they don't get shot. So it's all good. I, I thought that was a brilliant character development. The other piece to that is one of the best scenes in Star Trek Two, which harkens right back to the original series. Kirk. What does he say in the Genesis Cave? I don't believe in the no win scenario. Yeah, that line right there sums up Kirk. So, Mr. Shatner, if you're listening, they did the writers did you right. By the way, uh, you you pointed it out, Craig, that um, Nicholas Meyer did a, a rewrite. I have some information about that. He uh, so Harv Bennett wrote the original outline. Jack B. Swords developed it into a full script, but Nicholas Meyer, who is the guy, he's that dude. He was the director. He completed the final script in 12 days and did not even accept a writing credit. Mm. Uh, his his approach evoked the swashbuckling atmosphere of the original series, which is ironic, given what we given what you just revealed about Shatner's feelings. And the theme was reinforced by James Horner's James Horner's musical score, which again I think that score, I, I you know. I bought that score, and it's it's one of the hallmarks of my youth, along with John Williams and all these other composers that I grew up with, you know, in Spielberg movies and stuff like that. 
that score is as much a, a character in the film as as any of the character, I believe. And it's mm-hmm. also a score. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I think that score is why I thought that Starfleet and still kind of do feel like it's a military organization. I don't know how, what you guys think because they're as cl- opposed to what, as opposed to their um, scientists and explorers. No, I think it's more militaristic than purely well, scientific. I'm just saying, based on the hierarchy alone. Roddenberry made it clear that they were not a military organization; they were explorers, a wagon train to the stars. No. Well, I, I mean, just... yeah, you're right about that. But even in the original Star Trek, um, there was there was clear ranking. So there was military star rank. For sure. I mean, you've got Captain, Mister, you know, all, all this. So the ranking is there. They, I think they just downplayed it and they said, this is not a military organization, meaning that they're not going out there to kill people. They are there for science, but they were, they had rank. People had rank and you had to pay, you know, you had to respect your rank. So it was military style. Well, it could have been, I mean, I'm not going to argue that they weren't military. I think they tend, I, I tend to think they were. But I'm just saying that um, you could, t- to support, Gene Roddenberry's vision. You could say that, you know, in the Star Trek universe, you know, things have changed since whatever wars ravaged Earth, and then the Star Trek universe came from those ashes. That they looked at military protocol and applied that to scientific mm. studies. Sure, I, I'm not. I'm and I'm not taking a side here, but um, so yeah, you know, when you look at Space Seed and, and Wrath of Khan, there are a lot of there are a lot of similarities, a lot of lot of differences and i think a lot of that has to do with the time period these both existed in and as i mentioned earlier i believe that uh ricardo montalban he really killed the role in space seed so when you come to star trek 2 first of all i remember clearly and i say this as a heterosexual man <laughs> people went crazy and th- now this is j- this is superficial people went crazy over Ricardo Montalban's chest. <laughs> and the whole thing was, was that really, he, he says this in interviews. He said this in interviews. People ask me all the time, was that my chest? Yes, I worked out. I worked hard for that chest. <laughs> but I feel like if he did a good job in Space Seed, he blew it out of the water here in Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. His character, although he did a lot of stupid shit, <laughs> if you break it down, most dictators do stupid shit, and they always get tripped up on their own ego, I believe. I think we're living that right now as of January 20th. Yes, we are. So, Montalban's performance from Space Seed to Star Trek 2. I believe he 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 put it's clear he's playing the same characters, the same tics, the same type of um character traits. But I just feel like there was so much more dimension to him in Star Trek 2. And one of those things, and maybe this is the first time we see this, is an ongoing theme I think that exists through Star Trek is the theme of Moby Dick. We saw that in uh, First Contact. I believe we saw it in in, uh, in other movies that, that escape me right now. But we see it here in Star Trek 2 because Khan is so hell-bent on getting revenge against Kirk as opposed to just taking care of his own people. Yoa King says it himself, you know, sir, we have a ship. We have the means to go wherever we want. And what does Khan say? Do you guys remember the quote? 
Nope. Say Alice, shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh my god. He tasks me. He, ta- <laughs> he tasks me and I shall have him. I'll chase him That's round right. the I'll chase him round the something something rings of perdition perdition's flames <laughs> before I give him up. So Yes he does. Now now you compare that with so he's much more driven here. Clearly he's driven to Spacey, but at the end of Spacey, when Kirk says we're gonna just we're gonna leave you on this planet. You can conquer this planet. He's like, okay, cool. And he turns to his girl and he says, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but I think uh, my take on it is that <clears throat> the first time you see Khan, he has just come from uh, victorying. You know, he's a he's a victorious character. He led quarter of the planet, but then of course they they started rounding them up. So they put he put them on. He took all those people, put them on a ship, and went into space. And then he slept for two hundred years. But then when you see him again in Wrath of Khan, as he explains, and this is part of the reason why they go to the wrong planet, is he said six months after they left him there, the planet was great, but then SETI Alpha 6 exploded, and then it, it essentially destroyed SETI Alpha 5. So his dream of living on this great planet turned into living on an absolutely terrible planet and living in pain and his wife dying and just these hardships, no way of contacting the outside world. So now he's filled with rage. And that came out in his in his in his acting. I thought it was brilliant. Good point. Good point. Now, how do you think looking at how looking at Khan as a leader? You know, he had his people in Spacey. He had his people in uh, Star Trek Two, right? He had he had his crew. Which do you? I mean, do you think he learned anything from his failure in Spacey? Do you think he was he like completely like uh, just? Put that all aside. Was he a one-dimensional person? It's like, you know, Kirk did beat me before. I should have a little bit more respect for this guy. Did he really care about his crew? Did he did he learn anything from Space Seed? I tend to think no. And as a matter of fact, he was even worse a, a worse leader in Khan in Wrath of Khan than he was in Space Seed. I think so, and I think maybe he in his mind he thought I'm looking at technology that's 200 years ahead of me. Yes, I'm a clever guy. I got superior intelligence, but he, I think he was thwarted by the fact he was playing in a universe that he didn't really know that well. So maybe he just thought saw that as a bad move, and down on the planet he said, "Well, that's not my. F- I, I I I got killed. You know, I got uh, taken out. It's not my fault, really, because I was playing with uneven odds." But yes, he was worse in, in Wrath of Khan for sure. He was more filled with rage and just wanting to get Kirk. But that rage was somewhat understandable, correct? Oh, for sure. The conditions were terrible. He lost his wife. You know, you saw what the planet looked like. Looked like crap. <laughs> I love the fact that they're playing checkers. <laughs> right. <laughs> to pass the time. Now, Big Sexy, you're being kind of quiet, so I'm going to ask you a question to perk you up there. Go ahead. You have a question. So we have Khan from Spacey, Khan from Wrath of Khan, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so between the, the two methods he uses to extract loyalty would you if you had to choose between one of them between being placed in a zero g chamber like captain kirk or having uh the the seti alpha five native inhabitants thrown in your ear which one would you choose (laughs) gotta be the zero g chamber because watching the thing in chekhov's ear and, and the other captain's ear it was just like alien to an extent, you know, 
watching that little thing burrow in there. Oh, ah, <laughs> gross. Wow, you actually, you actually gave that some thought. <laughs> now, the thing is, also, the planet that uh, Khan's people on became crap, but he's got the, the intellect to go ahead and find out what that animal is and get it to, con- and then control it enough to have its offspring do his do his bidding, but he couldn't get his plan together. This guy's a bum. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I think you're not. It's not like he was. He got those creatures to do his bidding. They were doing what they naturally do. That's how his wife was killed. Remember? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I have to. Man. I have to call out the one really bad special effect, and that's Chekhov's ear. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, how did they think that looked realistic? Well, but you know, it was nineteen eighty-two. I mean, you listen. I could tell. I could point you to the original Terminator movie when he has to fix himself in the mirror. I mean, come oh on. sure. <laughs> no, of, of course. But that's that was quite a complicated topic. He, he's supposed to be a, a machine, right? So that's hard to tackle. But this is just a human ear, <laughs> and there's like a thing crawling in it and then crawling out of it later, and uh, it looked like it just ugh, it just looks so bad. Well, okay, so. We have been on this. Uh, we've been on this uh, mission for about an hour. Uh, we're going to start to wrap it up, but before we do, I just want to have some fun here. We we kind of poked a little bit of fun at uh, Spacey. Let's poke a little bit of fun at Star Trek Two. So I have some notes here. Just want to run them down and get you guys' thoughts. So the first thing we were, you know, the Kobayashi Maru. There's no way of winning to to, to win that scenario unless you're Captain Kirk. However. Seeing it last night, I'm like, there is a way to win, because when Savik, you know, she's in, she's at, she's in the captain's chair, and and they get the distress call from the neutral zone, from the Klingon neutral zone. If that were me, and uh, what is it? The guy says um, that they need help, they have supplies, and they need help. Please help us. Uh, and then the question is, do we go into the neutral zone to help them and break uh, all treaties? Or do we let them, do we leave them there to die? My response would be, uh, you know what, Sulu? There's no way in hell a Federation ship would be in the Klingon neutral zone with supplies. Let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> and, I, and, and then I would, I would turn, I would shout to whoever's listening, which was Admiral Kirk. I would say, Admiral, I'm not falling for it. <laughs> now, wouldn't that prove my character that I'm not stupid? Yes and no. Are your orders to go into the zone and get this? And the neutral zone, again, is just that. The neutral zone. It's not Klingon space. It's not uh, no, no, no. off-limits. I got to correct you. It's not Klingon space, but the treaty says neither side will enter the neutral zone. Okay, fine. Entering the neutral zone is an act of aggression. But somebody's already in there, right? Right, which is is bullshit. So So the Federation is already fouled. We got to go in there and correct the problem. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, I know this is the test. <laughs> and I know whoever wrote this test is full of <laughs> So let me get this right. And you I would say no. You would say no. And you're the same person yeah. who got on me a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Well, I was sending Jordy off to his doom in that other test. Well, no, no. I, I, I would say, I'm saying, I would say no. I was, my saying no is a statement to the people who programmed the test saying, I know this is a no-win scenario and I'm not falling for it. I'm not a, I'm not going to be a stupid captain. 
So let's get the hell out of here. There's no <laughs> ship. There's no ship in the neutral zone. Find another sucker. <laughs> <laughs> but he has another thing which I thought was a little bit ludicrous. Yeah, is that there's a training simulator for the training captain, but they've got all these old Starfleet personnel getting blown up and falling around the bridge. I mean, haven't they got better things to do than to come and play act <laughs> in the simulator? Think about that. Well, see, this is this is one of the conundrums of Star Trek. If you believe Star Trek, the only real ship in the whole Star in all of Starfleet is the Enterprise. So I, I tend to think that um, you know there were other ships out doing things that needed to be done. You know. Yeah, but the the crew of the Enterprise they're they're old, but yeah, they're showing up in the simulator. <laughs> Couldn't they just get other people to do those jobs? You know, why did it have to be Spock and Sulu and Uhura and everything? It doesn't well, make. Well, Spock that, that's was trying to Mac. Because he's certainly had an interest in her. So I think Spock has an agenda. Well, mm. you know, I, I really don't want to see Johnson and Leroy and Shaquan <laughs> and, and Letitia, who are Star, Starfleet interns. I, I, I want to see my guys. <laughs> okay, here's an... Laquan? Yeah. <laughs> there could have been some Laquans in Starfleet. I want to see one. I don't think we've ever seen Laquan in Star in Starfleet. No. It does It could be an alien. La- Laquan could be an alien name. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here's another one. <clears throat> here's another one. So if if uh, Chekhov and Terrell, that's the captain of the Reliant, if they Laquan thought they if they were if they thought they were beaming into the garden spot of SETI Alpha six. SETI Alpha Six, one, how do the sensors of the Reliant get the planet wrong and not detect that there was another planet that blew up and that it was in fact SETI Alpha 6 and if they think they're beaming into the garden spot why do they have on their full spacesuits and helmets Check off. are you sure these are the correct coordinates Captain the garden spot to see the Alpha Six. I can barely see it. And why do they take the helmets off when they go into the trailer? Do they? They must think the atmosphere is either good or bad. So I, my my take on it is that the the city Alpha Six blew up six months after they dropped off Khan. So fifteen or fourteen and a half years had gone by. Presumably, all the debris had cleared up by then. Um, still, it's a little bit of a stretch, right? Because you you must have mapped this 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 uh, galaxy uh, before, and now you suddenly see one planet missing, and nobody says anything about it. But right. I believe that the story in 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 Wrath of Khan is they know the planet is desolate, and that's what they want to use. They want to use the planet for the Genesis project for that reason. But they detect these feigned life forms, and they want to go check it out. But I think they already know the planet is pretty pretty crappy. Um, they probably also knew that it was a, it was the correct atmosphere, uh, mixture of oxygen and so on, so they could breathe once they got inside. Okay. All right. I, I like that. <clears throat> moving on, moving on. By the way, the one, one thing I wanted to mention is yeah. that, uh, that Khan quotes Klingon poetry, but how, how you know, how, he didn't meet any Klingons. So and that was going to, that was on my list. That was on ah, my okay. list. Okay. You spotted that too. <laughs> that was on my list. Now here's another thing. Now, uh, Craig, you pointed this out. This is a continuity error. That uh, Khan says, and since I'm the only one that knows the quotes from this damn movie, <laughs> Khan says, I don't know you. Speaking to Terrell. Mm-hmm. Then he moves I know to, you. He says, but you. 
I never forget a face. That's a horrible accent, I know. Anyway. That was terrible. <laughs> At least I know the quote. <laughs> <laughs> now, Craig, you pointed out <clears throat> that Khan couldn't have known Chekhov because Chekhov is not a member of the crew in, in the episode of Space Seed. Exactly. Yeah. However, he could have known because when Kirk gave Khan access to the the computer library, Chekhov was probably uh, going to be assigned to the Enterprise. And so in some of the records, they had future crew members that were going to be assigned a commission. Chekhov was one of them. And uh, Khan read through his bio in Spacey when he was going through the computer banks. Yeah, I think I think you can definitely make that connection. So he was a member of the crew. He just wasn't the you know piloting the ship yet. Oh, he maybe he wasn't even a member of the crew. He was going to be a member of the crew. Right. Yeah. But his his, da- his information was still in Starfleet database. Hmm. I know it's a stretch. I'm just trying to help the movie out because I like it so much. I wonder why they 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 made such a mistake. They didn't really need to show Khan recognizing Chekhov. It wasn't important to the story at all. You're right. I think it was just uh, it was a misguided attempt to just connect it, give it some mm. connection, some tissue with uh, Space Seed, which was, mm. un- you're right, unnecessary. I love the fact that uh, when uh, Kirk and Savik are in the turbo lift having a little chat, and then Bones, the, Bones open, the doors open, and Bones says, who the hell is holding up the damn elevator? Really? Yeah, that kind of threw me as well. <laughs> Like what elevator? It was a turbo lift? Be a dillweed. And I love. I, here, here's my next one. When uh, and I love this quote. I want to do this quote. Don't make fun of my accent, Scotty. When he says, uh, "He stayed at his post when the trainees ran." <laughs> wow! Damn. Damn hard, rough crowd. <laughs> okay. Anyway. In that scene where uh, I think the guy's name was Peters, he was the uh, uh, engineer's mate. And I think there's an extra scene, a deleted scene. I'm sure I've seen deleted scenes of this film where that's a little bit more fleshed out because prior to that scene, you see Scotty bringing the dead, the, the body up to the bridge. I'm like, damn, Scotty, well, <laughs> take him to sick bay. Damn. <laughs> that was a little inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But um, Kirk is really, Kirk is really cold. When um, he uh, Peter says, is the word given? The word is given. Warp speed. And then the kid dies. And Kirk's <laughs> like, okay, Uhura, uh, what do we got? <laughs> do you, uh, that always bothered me. And you I know, think if you look at continuity, that blood stain on Kirk's oh, that thing goes changes all, quite a bit. <laughs> it goes all over the place. <laughs> Le- oh, th- I well, think Mike, was, Yes. Just to belabor that point, I think you probably want to. You could shed more light on the why the continuity errors were so much more prevalent in the '80s than they are now. Because now you can look back on the scene digitally, but I think back then you couldn't really, because you were full, you were shooting on film and you had no record of what actually happened. Right? You just had somebody well, taking notes. Isn't that the case back in the '80s and '70s and '60s? Let me just say, I don't, I don't know for a fact that continuity errors don't still don't still happen at the same frequency. But no, what to your point? Yeah. Um, uh, you did have dailies, but you didn't really have the budget to go back and 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 reshoot things for little things like that, you know. Mm. Although typically there's a person on the set that has a Polaroid camera, 
back then I was doing Polaroid camera, that's taking photos of everything so that when they come back the next day or the next week, they have those photos to refer to to see where things are. But I, you know, I'm not gonna knock them for a blood stain that moves around. But it's funny, you're not the first person that noticed that. When I, I remember my childhood friend when we saw he, he ranted about that. I'm like, dude, <laughs> did you miss the whole movie? That's what you're complaining about. <laughs> it seems like the continuity person just wrote down bloody hand on Kirk's uniform as opposed to taking a picture. And so every day when they came in, it just like took some dude's hand and shoved it on the white area. Okay, fine. Yeah, somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> but at one point, the whole the thing disappears completely unless they have a washing machine on the Enterprise. <laughs> but uh, I also wanted to point out, I really think it was a bad tactical move on Kirk's part to uh, to bring Chekhov and Captain Terrell down to regular when they beam down to the planet. Uh, into the bowels of the planet when they know that uh, Chekhov and Terrell had been compromised. Now, mm -hmm. even if they even if they felt like they were okay at the point that they meet them, you still... You, you, that was a bad move. I, I, that didn't make sense to me. The other thing, a mistake that was made there is Khan is obviously has the ability to beam the Genesis device up, but somehow he doesn't beam Kirk up to the ship to kill him or whatever, right? He, is, he could beam all of them up there, but he just leaves them down there. Kind of silly. Well, yeah. I, I could see that as the mad dictator. You know, he wants K Kirk to suffer. I don't know. Yeah. Well, obviously it's because then you don't have the, the dramatic scenes to follow. If that of course. <laughs> And did you guys notice when Chekhov, uh, when he gets cured and he, he he comes back to the bridge and says to Captain Kirk, uh, may I resume my station? And Kirk smiles at him and says, yes, go ahead. Personally, I would have had his ass in, in sickbay for a month. But <laughs> <laughs> did you notice how Uhura looks at Chekhov as he walks past her? He, she, no. lo she looks at him like this motherfucker here. <laughs> <laughs> you got us almost got us all killed. And the last comment I want to make, uh, when David walks onto the bridge at the end in that bitch-made sweater wrapped around his neck. Yeah, thank you. Oh. Thank you. What the hell was Johnny Slash thinking, man? That get, was foul. Get the fuck out of here with your uh, fuck. Polo Izod Country Club bullshit. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say... Um, Speaking of David, and we didn't even get into that character, but we're, we're going over now. Um, I thought that was really very rich. Um, I, I kind of, I'll, I'll say it, that whole last half, I kind of teared up more than I thought I would because I'd seen that movie so many times. But um, when David says, uh, I'm proud, really proud to be your son, I mean, wow, that was like, I, I don't know why that gut punched me after seeing that so many times, but... Just some brilliant writing about, again, that theme of destiny and aging and the choices we made. You know, Kirk says, I, I did what you wanted. I stayed away. Why didn't you tell him? And, you know, a father and a son reconciling, going from enemy to to being a father and a son. How about a son being a... Well, never mind. Not going to say it. Although well, no, David was the David was a G. There wasn't nothing wrong with uh, except, no, for that, no, except for that except sweater, for that sweater. Except for that sweater. <laughs> but he he went out like a G in Star Trek Three. Um, that sweater was, yeah. That was foul, right? <laughs> but yeah, so there you have it. Um, you know, Spacey 
Star Trek 2, Star Trek 2, arguably, again, I'll say it, and I'm backed up with uh, this article that I was reading from, well, actually from Wikipedia. Star Trek 2 is the movie that relaunched Star Trek, so we have Nicholas Meyer to thank for that. But it all came from the, from the, from the uh, mind of, um, who was this writer again? Of um, Gene L. Kuhn and Carrie Wilbur, who wrote the original episode Space Seed. So we have them to thank as well. So listen, guys, um, since we're talking about Star Trek 2, uh, we're only going to take a couple minutes here. But we just saw this film. We're going to do some trivia. Okay. okay. Calm down, guys. Don't get too excited. <laughs> okay? Now, whoever gets the first right answer, the most right answers out of the first round of questions, wins the game. So we're going to keep this simple. But we got we to gotta represent. Okay, we got to represent for the red shirts, all right? We just saw Star Trek II Rathacon, so we're going to show everyone out there how much we know, all right? So, who wants to step up to the plate first? I'll step up. All right, all right. Because apparently I got promoted at the beginning of the episode, so you know. <laughs> okay, question. Who was Khan's only follower who protested his hunting Kirk. Um, we just said it, but it's something with a K. Oh, no. Roman Keen or something like that? No? Uh, I needed... What? Big says, do you know the answer? Uh, Kuma Khan, that guy I, blonde. I just told you. <laughs> okay, listen, you're... you're your command status is on the line here, guys. <laughs> and this was the same question that you lost last time, Big Sexy. Joachim. Joachim. Who ended up dying in the quest. The blonde guy. <clears throat> the blonde Blondie. guy. The phoenix from Saturday Morning Cartoons. All right. Big Sexy, you're up. In which room of the Enterprise did Spock die? Engineering. Or, or... If I'm gonna have to go further, I want to say in the um, oh, the dilithium chamber. I, okay, the answer is dilithium reactor room. I will, I will let you have it. The dilithium reactor room. Well done. I go. I go. Okay. Now, I am going to just, I'm going to close my eyes and point to a category and just ask the question off the card. You will take it on honor system that I am not cheating. And here is my question. What regulation stated during... Oh, come on. <laughs> what regulation stated during battle no uncoded messages were to be transmitted on an open channel? Damn it. Ah. Uh, I don't... Reg okay, let me think about it. Okay. This, uh, and, and, status is at risk here. Yeah. Yeah. Cra Craig, Craig and I offline were talking about this. I have an excuse for not knowing because this was this dialogue was said during a beam out or a beam in, which is insane. How are you talking while your atoms are being transmogrified in the annular confinement beam? Beam. Exactly. So, okay. So he says, days before hours, hours, day, days instead of hours, hours instead of days. Uh, well, that comes after. He's. Uh, Savik says, you lied. I exaggerated. Okay, so it comes before that. Uh, 
I don't know. <laughs> the answer is, I knew there was an A in it. I knew there was an A. It's regulation. I knew there was an A. Shit. <laughs> regulation 46A. That doesn't even sound right. <laughs> that sounds like a writer said, I need something that sounds official. Regulation 46A. <laughs> okay. That's kind of like Craig and the, and the destruct codes. What is it? Zero, right. zero, one, zero, something like that. <laughs> so, all right, there you have it, folks. Our in-depth, our trenchant, our uh, <laughs> uh, winging it by the seat of our pants an analysis of uh, Space Seed and Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. Now, we've had a lot of um, requests that we do a, a commentary of Wrath of Khan so that we watch it live while we're recording and we make our we make our comments. We might do that. Uh, that might be a little bit problematic in terms of logistics, but uh, I'm not going to close the door on that. But until that time, um, let me tell you where you can find us. You can find us on Twitter at RedShirts1701. You can find us on Facebook under RedShirts, a Star Trek podcast. You can find us on Tumblr at uh, RedShirts. And you can find us on, where's the other place they can find us? You can email us redshirtspodcast at gmail.com now here is your assignment this is the crew assignment what I need you to do is go to iTunes find us on iTunes just search for us under redshirts and subscribe to our channel and leave us a rating and a review tell us what you think if you like what we're doing Great. By all means, please leave us a rating and review. That's how we get bumped up to the top of the queue in terms of popularity and podcasts. Uh, we love doing this for you. We do it every two weeks. Maybe at one point we'll do it every week, but we're we're busy men. You know, we're we're not traversing the galaxy. We're on Risa, getting our groove on. So you know, we need some R and R. You know, like Captain Kirk said to uh, uh, Scotty, he had a wee bit, a wee bit of what? Shore leave. You know, we all need it. That's our show this week, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Leave your comments in all of the comments sections. Email us. Let us know what you think. And one last thing before we go, to all of the listeners out there who are devoted to our podcast, I just want to say, of all the souls I have encountered throughout my travels, yours are the most human. needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. That's how Republicans think anyway. <laughs> oh, I was say, that's how liberals think. No, no, no. Liberals think the other way around, which is the Star Trek motto. The needs of no. the many outweigh the needs of the one. No, they say that, but they think it, you know, the opposite. Oh, God. Mm. Here we go. Now, we won't that's get into right. That I now. said it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Red Shirts is not endorsed by Paramount Pictures, Viacom, or CBS. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Star Trek, the Star Trek logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of Star Trek characters are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and or copyright holders.